0: Flyers Daily with Jason Mertedas. All right, here we go. It's a Sunday, November twenty-first edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Flyers fall back to back for the first time this season with a five-two loss to the Boston Bruins. Flyers in this game five-two outscored significantly, outshot significantly in the game as well, forty-four to thirty-one. And I feel a little explanation is needed here um, because, as you know. I often talk about it's about quality, shot quality, and not shot quantity. But 44 is too many. So in this situation, it's not just about quantity. But when you have 44 and you have the amount of quality that Boston had, that is part of the equation. And the Flyers in this game, they go down on, on the NoSick goal in the first period. Tremendous job by Nosek to, to elevate that puck off the backhand of the top of the net. Uh, Derek Forbert picked up the second goal just 30 seconds into the second period, and then the Flyers, less than a minute later, they get on the board. Derek Broussard, his third goal of the season, and he gets his second goal of the game and his fourth of the season on the power play at 925. Flyers get it tied, and then at 1627, Forbert gets his his second goal of the game, his fourth of the season, regains the lead for Boston, but the Flyers only down a goal heading into the third period. And in the third period, early on, minute 28 in, Craig Smith stretches it to a two-goal lead, and then eventually David Pasternak with the goal to make it five to two. Flyers couldn't get any closer, and Boston, um, dare I say, I guess overwhelmed the Flyers a bit in this game. Flyers in that last game they played against the Bruins a week ago last night on October 20th, it was the third game of the season. Uh, they also got outshot in that game, 40 to 25 went into the third period, tied at three, and came away with a 6-3 win. Boston also, coming into the game last night, had been off for six days between games. They didn't play since last Sunday. They had back-to-back games last weekend on Saturday and Sunday, and then were off the entire calendar week and uh, just to come back for this game. So five off days from playing games and playing a, their next game on the sixth night. They look like a well-rested team. They look like a team that had a lot of energy. They pumped 21 shots in the first period. Uh, They really grabbed the game in that period. Flyers had a period of pushback in the second, and like I said, got the game tied. But ultimately, uh, Boston just had more on this night. And like I said, the Flyers have lost now back-to-back games for the first time. And when that happens, it's it's important. No matter who you play, and they'll play the Tampa Bay Lightning Tuesday and the Florida Panthers on Wednesday in a back-to-back situation. It doesn't matter who you play. You have to not let two losses turn into three. Because as we know, this division is incredibly tight. There's not a lot of margin for error. And the Flyers are going to have to get back and avenge the shootout loss that they had against the Tampa Bay Lightning on Thursday night. So a lot of work to be done. It's going to be a tough week of hockey. And we've been looking at this this month of November in week-by-week week segments. Now, they started out the month. It was 14 games in the month, seven at home, seven on the road. The first week of the month, they had Arizona. Pittsburgh and Washington. Pittsburgh and Washington games on the road against Arizona. They got the three nothing win. They went to Pittsburgh. They had an overtime loss when Chris Letang got that wraparound goal three to two. Then they went to Washington. They got a two one win on the road. So that calendar week they got five of a possible six points. The next week they had uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs on that Wednesday night. They lost three to nothing to the Leafs. They came back that Friday came back in the third period down a goal and got a 2-1 victory over the Carolina Hurricanes and then lost uh, against the Dallas Stars 5-2 on that Saturday night. It was three games in four days. Dallas was really kind of playing early here for some semblance of a season and not a great week. Two points of a possible six. This past week, Flyers had Calgary on Tuesday, Tampa Bay on Thursday, and the Bruins last night, and they come away with three of a possible six points. They got the win over... In overtime against Calgary. They got the loss in the shootout against Tampa Bay and then the loss in regulation against the Boston Bruins. So three of a possible six points. And this week coming up, you're going to have actually four games. So there's eight points available. Like I said, the back to back games Tampa Bay on Tuesday, Florida on Wednesday, then day off on Thursday for Thanksgiving, and then back at it Friday against Carolina for the Black Friday game at the Wells Fargo Center, 3-30 matinee game, and then they'll wrap up the calendar week with a game against the New Jersey Devils on the road. And when you look at those opponents this week, so again, a possible eight points will be on the table this week, and you got to get points. It's paramount that you get— points in the standings with how tight things are and the way everything is playing out here in this division. And when you look at these four opponents, Tampa right now 9-4-3, Florida 12-2-3, and, and on home ice have not scored less than four goals. Carolina a record of 14-2-0, and, and the Devils at 8-5-3, a combined record of 43-13-9, which has accounted for 95 standings points and a 684 points percentage. It's a tough week ahead, but you got to come away with points. First of all, the Devils game, the weakest opponent there, one that you're really neck and neck with battling right now. They also got to win yesterday over the Tampa Bay Lightning in Tampa. That's a team that you need to take care of the two points against. That's the latter part of the week. Up first, you got to deal with Tampa. You got to avenge the shootout loss on the road against a really good team, and you have to do it and prevent yourself from having a three-game losing streak. Then you got to turn it around in quick order and face a really good Florida team, like I said, that scores four or more goals on home ice in each and every game. So you're going to have to get scoring. And then Carolina on Black Friday is no slouch, as we know, with obviously with a record of 14 and two on the season. And the Flyers got the win in Carolina. There's going to be vengeance on their mind. So it's a tough week of hockey, but the Flyers need to have a very good week of hockey. And it kind of leads me to what I want to talk about in this episode because uh, you're going to hear Elaine Vigneault in just a couple minutes. And at the end of his press conference, he was asked about an update on Kevin Hayes and said he doesn't have one yet. We should probably get one in the next day or so, I would imagine, probably before the game in Tampa on Tuesday, and find out kind of what the plan is for Kevin Hayes, how long he's going to be out for, does he require any further surgical procedures, what's the situation. And, you know, pending, obviously, what that news is, it leads me to wonder uh, how the Flyers will handle this situation. We know that Ryan Ellis is going to be out four to six weeks. Now, we don't know if he's coming back repaired. Not repaired, but 100% after that four to six weeks. And is he going to come back and be available to play for the team presumably 85% of the remaining games? Or is this something he's going to have to deal with throughout the whole season? Is it a situation where he could have went in and had a procedure done and got whatever ails him repaired? Or is this a pain threshold situation? We don't know. So that's part of the equation. So that's your top pairing right side defenseman. And then with Kevin Hayes out, how long is he going to be out for? Is it an LTIR situation where he'll be out multiple months, has to go in and get something repaired again with the core and the issue that he had with the two surgeries? We don't know that either. But- it leads me to think of, okay, how will this play out in certain situations? I saw a tweet that I got from uh, Ryan Schiffler. He tweets very often when we do take questions. I wasn't even taking questions, but he just tweeted me and said, Jason, is it time to panic for this team? Every single player on this team is streaky. Jones is starting to struggle and offense is running dry. Looks like last year is starting to creep back in. Now, I don't agree that it looks like last year is creeping back in. For a couple of reasons. One is, and the big one for me, is that the defensive environment, even though they gave up five goals against the Bruins last night, the defensive environment is nowhere near as unpredictable, unstructured, and all the things that last year's defensive environment was. And even in that first period last night where they got outshot 21-8, to I want to say, even in that period, the possession battle in that first period – was 53% possession to 47% in Boston's favor. It wasn't that pronounced. Yeah, they had a lot more shots. Part of that came on uh, the power play, back-to-back power plays, and part of it was a five-on-three. I think they had seven shots on it. So a lot of that is there, but the Flyers also did a good job keeping things to the outside. There was a Brad Marchand shot that they were out there after an icing against the Flyers' fourth line. And for some reason, just inside the blue line, even higher than the top of the circle, he fired a clear-sighted shot on Martin Jones. And I'm going, why would you do that? You're out there against the fourth line, a good matchup after an icing. Why would you just throw the puck to the goalie and allow him to freeze it and get out of the situation? But, you know, that's a shot that counts just like any other shot on the shot board, but is not a shot that counts like a high-danger shot. But, you know, so I don't agree that it's starting to look like last year. You know, the, the thing that, is disturbing is the lack of goals. They did get a power play goal last night, which was good and great puck movement, and they had some good other scoring chances on the power play. Still getting set up and getting the structure of the power play and, and a strategic plan looks a little, you know, haphazard at times. It, it doesn't look like they know conclusively what they want to do, power play to power play, and that needs to be worked out. But as far as, you know, every single player on this team is streaky, I think there's a couple players that aren't necessarily streaky. I don't think Giroux's been streaky. I just think he's been really good. Broussard, yeah, he scored two goals last night, the only two for the Flyers. Uh, but you're not depending on him to really carry you offensively. Atkinson is a streaky scorer. Most most goal scorers are. Uh, but you look at some of the other players, like you know Couturier, or it has been a little streaky this season, has piled up points. Obviously, Joel Farabee has. James Van Riemsdyk, were looking for a streak from James. He got in on a breakaway and was un- unable to convert when the game was 2-2 after Couturier gave him an absolutely beautiful sauce pass to send him in on a breakaway all alone on uh, Linus Allmark. So right now, the offense is dry. The goaltending, for the most part, has kept a in it. Last night, that was not the case. But you have to wonder that if, if Kevin Hayes is going to be out a long period of time and you know that Ryan Ellis is going to be out four to six weeks— how does Chuck Fletcher handle this? What are the options? Is it the is the best option to keep trotting out there what they're trotting out now? I don't think so. I think the better option, I mean, Morgan Frost, as a call-up, is absolutely an option. And he's really been pumping points with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms of late. He looks ready to a lot of people's eyes that have been watching him a lot that I talk to. Uh, but so So that's an option. But what do you expect? out of Morgan Frost? Do you expect him to come up and and be a guy that really drives offense to a significant level in his first, not his first call-up, but coming up in this call-up situation? Or, you know, when you look at this offseason and how aggressive Chuck Fletcher was, think about the amount of moves that were made from trading Jake Voracek and Shane Goss' despair and trading – other players that were here for a pretty pronounced long period of time, and acquiring guys like Rasmus and Cam Atkinson, and getting Keith Yandel, and getting Ryan Ellis in that trade with Nashville, and, and everything that went with it. It was a very aggressive and bold offseason, and I just don't know that you make that much of an aggressive offseason, and then if something happens like what has taken place here with Ellis and Hayes so far, that you don't try and go outside the organization to keep your team viable because keep trotting out what they have right now. I don't know that that can be sustainable for them to keep winning games and getting points and all of that. They're really lacking depth right now. Derek Broussard has got four goals for the team, had both last night, but he is a player that's a veteran on a veteran minimum contract that's playing second-line center for you. And then the trickle-down effect of that. So do you go out and do you try and acquire a defenseman? Or do you go out, do you try and acquire a forward? To me, with the the timeline for Ellis at four to six weeks, and if Hayes is out a long period of time or LTIR, whatever it is, then I got to go out and I got to look for a center. I got to look for a forward to find a way to bolster my offense, to get more offense. And there's a couple of options. I mean, Morgan Frost as a call-up is an option. You can go out and you can make a trade. Uh, for trying to get a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko out of St. Louis. And you're probably going to have—if you're acquiring him, unless you're—if you're in an LTIR situation, you get the cap relief for Hayes, about $7 million, which is about what Tarasenko makes. So you could do that, or you could trade a player for Tarasenko, like, like a James Van Riemsdyk with a similar contract, maybe retain some of the money or however that might work. And you bolster your ability to score goals that way. Now, he's not a center. He's a winger. So it doesn't solve your center dilemma per se. But you may be able to move some things around. Claude Giroux is still an option. I don't love the option of moving him back into the middle. I'd rather keep him at the wing, lessen those responsibilities on him, so I can keep him at the, the level of offense that he's driving right now. Or you can go out and look at a guy like Tomas Hurdle from the San Jose Sharks. He's in the final year of his deal. I think his cap hits about $5.8 million. But if you're going to make that move, you want to make it sooner rather than later. And when you're making that move, if you're going to make it sooner rather than later, a team like San Jose, it's early, so no team likes to throw in the towel and, and send off a rental this early in the season, pre-Thanksgiving or even sometime in December. And if you are going to pry a player like Hurdle away from them, you're going to have to pay a premium to do it now. Because ideally, they'd like to wait closer to the deadline when they can get multiple teams involved and drive the best price for the player. So if you're going to do it, you're going to have to go pretty heavy in what you give to get. So those are options. But again, the question is, after a very aggressive offseason, is Chuck Fletcher just going to let the season really become tenuous because Kevin Hayes has had a flare-up with this this core injury again? And, you know, the tenuous nature of Ryan Ellis' health right now, we know that he's out for the next four to six weeks. What is he going to be when he gets back? So, if you made all those moves to make your team more viable as a playoff team and more viable to be a playoff team that can maybe do something, then isn't the mindset kind of—does it make sense, if you will, that you're not going to try and bolster your team when you're in this situation? I mean to me it says okay we can't let that put our our playoff lives in that tenuous of a basket so we got to go out and we got to do something that's significant we got to go out and do something that puts us in a position that so it's not tenuous and we'll figure out the cap ramifications and and all that later but we got to do this now now like I said hurdle is in the final year of his contract so if you if you're not going to re-sign him in the offseason it's pretty simple you rent him You give up what you got to give up to get him, and you get everything you can from him. He's a good player. He would fit. He would make this team better. And then when Hayes does come back, if if he did come back and was LTIR and came back for the playoffs, now all of a sudden, you have Sean Couturier in the middle. You have Hurdle as your 2C. You bring Hayes back slowly as a 3C. And now all of a sudden, you've got tremendous depth down the middle. You move Scott Lawton to your fourth-line center. Nate Thompson's an extra. And, all, and you're better across the board as a result. But again, it all comes down to how Chuck Fletcher will handle this philosophically in this situation when he has so many injuries that he's dealing with and just key injuries. When you're losing your second-line center and your top-pairing right-side defenseman, those are significant. Those are significant losses. And we're starting to see the result of that. You can mask that for a period of time, how long you can mask that is really the question that Chuck Fletcher's got to ask and, and figure out. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle this situation. And first, we'll have to find out the extent of Kevin Hayes' injury and what that means for uh, this team, both in the present and the near future, and possibly the long-term future, as in this season. So we'll see how Chuck Fletcher handles it. And as we get info, we'll be talking about it right here. As a matter of fact, on Monday—or no, excuse me, Tuesday— Bill Meltzer is going to do, drop by, and we're going to do a big boffo segment of Ask Billy. So we'll talk about it in that episode as well. But let's get to the head coach, Elaine Vigneault. I thought he said some interesting things after the loss to the Boston Bruins. So here's what Elaine Vigneault said when he addressed the media after the game. The Bruins got out to a really strong start with 21 shots on goal in the first period. What did you make of your team's performance, especially early on?
1: Yeah, I mean, they definitely got momentum in that first period off their power play. Um, you know, they made some real good plays, and uh, we got some great saves uh, by Jonesy. You know, unfortunately, they got that one at the end of the first, and then... Uh, uh, they got one on on the first shift in the second. We got a little bit unfortunate there went off Brownie's stick. But, uh, you know, we found a way to tie the second period, made it a game, and uh, they scored right away in, in the beginning of the third on, on uh, you know, on a goal coming down the wing. I think if Jones is out a couple more feet, that it's a routine save. But uh, he got caught there a little bit. And, uh, you know, when you're down by two goals again to the Bruins, that's a tough team to come back and we we weren't able to get the job done.
0: You guys have had quite a few really strong third periods when you go into a third period, having to win that period to win the game. Why tonight did you not have that same push?
1: Well, again, I'll I'll go back to just what I just said now is, you know, we had a good second period. We were able to tie that one, that one, and then we're confident going into the third and, you know, their, their uh, second shift, uh, they're able to get that goal there on a on a one-on-one bad angle. Um, so, again, I mean, it, Jones had made some great saves, that one there. You know, we probably could have back. Uh, but th- that's the nature of the game. And, uh, you know, they're, like I said, they're a real good team and two-goal lead, tough to come back.
0: What explanation did the ref give you on the face-off violation?
1: In the third didn't give me an explanation. It just said we had a penalty, so.
0: This now is the beginning of that 48-hour
1: to 72-hour window on Kevin Hayes. Do you have any update on his uh, injury? I haven't asked. I saw you guys this
0: morning. A couple interesting things there. Obviously, at the very end, asking about the update on Kevin Hayes. He didn't have one. Um, but he didn't like two of the goals that Martin Jones gave up. And the one I didn't like either. The, the one in the third period, I, I didn't have as much of an issue with. But the one that he gave up, the second goal he gave up to Derek Forbert where he said he could have been out a couple extra feet. Now, one of the things with Martin Jones is they tried to move him back in the net because when you're moving east-west or laterally, if you will, you don't have to move as far, and it's really benefited Jones's game. But in that situation where you have a, a transition play and an odd-man rush situation as a result, and it, was, it became a quick three-on-two for Boston, when DeBrusque drops that puck off for Forbert, DeBrusk does the absolute right thing. He drives the net. And what does that do? That brings the Flyers defenseman Nick Seeler back with him. So that gives Forbert the the space to keep moving in to make that shot. So when that's happening, the goalie's reading that and going, okay, I have to assess in my vision the other possible threats of where Forbert can pass to. And when you look at the, the goal, DeBrusk is driving the net. He's not an option to be, be – to be passed to there. He's also marked by Nick Seeler. And then Craig Smith is the other forward. He's not in a position to get a pass and get a shot off on a lateral play. So when you read that as the goalie, Martin Jones, he's got to come out of the net, make himself big, knowing that he doesn't have to move lateral. It's going to be a straight on shot. What he does is he doesn't move out and take that extra ice. Every little bit that he moves out makes him bigger, makes the net smaller. It cuts the angle and he's sitting back in his net too far. And Forbert sees that and wires a shot. He's able to get it up over his shoulder. And when AV said that's a routine save if he comes out a little more, it absolutely is. Because if he shoots that puck in that same exact spot and Martin Jones is out of that net six or six inches or a foot more, that just hits him in the shoulder. Because remember, the puck's coming from the ice and up, the angle of that shot. from that spot is not going to go in. It's going to hit him because he's closer, he's bigger, and therefore it's not a goal. So I agree with Elaine Vigneault on that. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll bring you another brand new one coming up tomorrow. Everybody, enjoy your Sunday, and we'll talk to you coming up Monday on a brand new Flyers Daily.